Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, SI Boxing Podcast, and it is not overstating it to say this is one of my favorite episodes. We are down in Dallas, Texas, the site of Canelo Alvarez against Billy Joe Saunders' super middleweight unification fight. Dan Rayfield, the longtime boxing writer, now working over at ringtv.com, Ring Magazine. He is with me to go through all the news from the Andy Ruiz fight last weekend to everything you could possibly want to know about Canelo Saunders. After that, Roy Jones Jr., the future Boxing Hall of Famer. That is a great conversation with Roy from his days at his peak in the 1990s. We talk about the 1988 Olympics. We talk about the state of boxing today. And of course, we get into Canelo and Saunders. Really fun conversation with the great Roy Jones. As always, best way to support this podcast, get over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to the show. Ever been ringside and got blood on you? All the time. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was really embarrassing. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. What is that song about Texas? Deep in the heart of Texas, the stars at night are big and bright. Perry Como, that's who sings that song. Perry Como, deep in the heart of Texas. That's where we are right now at the hotel, just a stone's throw from AT&T Stadium alongside the great Dan Rayfield, working for ringtv.com, Ring Magazine this week, longtime boxing writer. Subscribe to his newsletter, which comes out uh, daily, if not more, uh, when big news breaks. Dan, thanks for joining me here, man. Chris, it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you. It's wonderful to be back on the road at a fight. As I wrote in my uh, newsletter, Fight Freaks Unite on Substack, it's been 14 months since I've been in a fight. Last fight I went to was March 7th, 2020 in Barclay Center, the heavyweight fight between Adam Konaki uh, getting upset by Robert Hellenius, came home the next day, and uh, 
was supposed to go back to New York the following week to cover Shakur Stevenson's featherweight title defense against uh, Mariaga at the Madison Square Garden Theater, and obviously that did not happen because a few days later it was canceled, and I haven't been to a fight or anywhere outside my home area in 14 months. So, But it's like uh, riding a bike, I guess. Uh, it's, I feel like I've never left. I'm happy not, to be here. Not just a fight. A big fight. The biggest fight, at least in terms of indoor attendance. We were just sitting in the lobby with Eddie Hearn, who says that this will be the most attended indoor event in boxing history. More than 65,000 fans coming through the turnstiles at AT&T Stadium. What do you think of that? I mean, we are kind of still in the middle of a pandemic here. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's quite amazing. It's quite shocking. And, you know, the point that Eddie made to me uh, before he said, that, you know, they said that this morning they had surpassed the, the, the record for United States indoor boxing attendance, which was 63,300 and change that attended the second fight between Muhammad Ali and Leon Spinks that took place at the uh, New Orleans Superdome in 1978. And now that he, so before that, he figured it was going to surpass that. He said, you know what? Boxing did this. This is not, you know, to draw, to, not only is it a, that a record-breaking crowd for American indoor attendance, you know, assuming that the numbers he's saying to us are accurate, it's the largest gathering anywhere in North America, to my knowledge, for anything, sports or otherwise, since the pandemic. I mean, it'll get broken, you know, as things open up, probably with the uh, uh, Indianapolis 500 that comes up later in the month. But that's pretty impressive when you consider that, that the thing that would be able to draw that magnitude of a crowd is a boxing match. And by the way, even as popular as Canelo Alvarez may be, you know, Billy Joe Saunders, to the 60-plus thousand that are going to be in that arena, they don't know him from you or me. He's an, you know, they maybe know he's a good fighter. He's got a title. He's undefeated, but they don't know anything about Billy Joe Hunters. They're coming because it's the Canelo show. No and question. Uh, I think it's 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 amazing that they can draw that many. You know, given the circumstances of the times, we were just saying, Eddie, like you know, what the the biggest crowds that we've been in. I mean, I you know, you and I were there in Wembley Stadium, ninety thousand, when uh, Anthony Joshua defended his heavyweight titles against Klitschko in two thousand seventeen. For me. This will be the second largest crowd I've ever been in. The only other ones that would surpass this one, uh, or that would be just behind this one, I should say, would be other fights I attended at AT&T Stadium, which are uh, uh, the, the two Manny Pacquiao fights there, as well as when Canelo fought uh, there the first time against Liam Smith, which was the record for the building up until what we're going to see on Saturday. All right, I want to get into that fight and everything about it in a second, but I want to look back first at what we saw this past weekend with Andy Ruiz, former unified heavyweight champion, makes his return. First time back in the ring since September, December of 2019. He wins a wide decision over Chris Ariola. That's the good part of it. The bad got knocked down in the second round, uh, was banged up a couple of times, hurt a couple of times uh, during that fight. Give me your assessment of what you saw from Andy Ruiz. I mean, the main thing is he got to win. Um, secondly, he got to win in a, in a, in a crowd-pleasing style, so it doesn't hurt him in terms of when they try to market his next event. He keeps himself in position as, a, uh, as one of the top heavyweights in the division. I mean, we all know the titles are tied up at the moment because of what's going on between Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury, uh, who, by the way, is here in the hotel making all kinds of uh, uh, outlandish comments. Just and, holding and court. Just, just holding, holding court, court, training, and uh, here to support his good friend, Billy Joe Saunders. But in any event, uh, Andy Ruiz, look, I, I mean, considering the time off he's had, um, and, and Ariola also had time off. I thought Ariola was came in great shape. You know, I look at the fight more about Andy was supposed to win. I'm like, if only Chris had gotten in that kind of shape and taken it that seriously when he was 30 instead of 40, what could have been with him? 
Um, but for Andy, look, he just keeps on moving the, the, the chains forward. He's going to get another big fight. I mean, the, he mentioned uh, King Kong Ortiz after the fight who was there ringside. I, that'd be a pretty good fight. Um, I'd like to see him fight Deontay Wilder if Wilder, uh, if ultimately Joshua and Fury is finalized and that leaves Deontay Wilder without the third fight against Fury for the time being. That's a, that's a pretty big deal fight that PBC could put together and you know, would be a, uh, you know, look, in the economics that we live in today, that's a pretty big pay-per-view fight, relatively speaking. Um, the former heavyweight champions against each other who both draw from different fan bases. Obviously, you know, Andy's got the, the Latino fan base behind him. Deontay is a very big name, certainly among the black community. And you put the two together and they all buy the pay-per-view, not to mention just your average boxing fan, whatever color or nationality they are. That's a, that's a very interesting fight. Uh, I hope that happens. But uh, I didn't think Andy looked great, but I think he did good enough to beat uh, the guy he was supposed to beat in front of him. Yeah, he did fine. And credit to Chris Ariola, who came in shape and was probably at his best for any time in the last five, six years at least. Um, what worried me about Ruiz was the knockdown. And, you know, there are two reasons to like Andy Ruiz as a heavyweight contender. One is his hand speed. He's among, if not the fastest heavyweight in terms of hand speed that's that's out there. The other was punch resistance. And, you know, we came into this, Dan, at least I did, thinking Ruiz has a granite chin. Like, you can't knock out Andy Ruiz. That was kind of my mindset. Based I don't on, know why you thought that. Well, I, never... I mean, look, he's, he's, he went 12 rounds with Joseph Parker. He got knocked down and got up from Anthony Joshua. Like, he fought some big punchers, right? And I, I thought coming in, you know, he had one of the best chins in all of boxing. Seeing Ariola knock him down, that made me wonder. And it made me wonder, like, did the weight loss contribute to that? I mean, punch, losing weight... As Sergio Mora has told me, like that contributes to punch resistance. Like you, if you lose too much weight, it can affect how you take a shot. So if Andy Ruiz, <laughs> he was still like close to 260 pounds though. So he was, but I mean that's that's 30 pounds off his uh, weight from the uh, the Joshua fight, and then 50 or something from what he was at his peak. I'm just saying, like if he doesn't have if he doesn't have a granite chin, that that makes me believe less in Andy Ruiz. I, I think that you're doing a little bit too deep of a look at it. My, my perspective on it is this. You got a guy that hadn't fought for a year or whatever it's been for quite a while, and same with Areola. They're two, two guys that like to get in there and brawl and slug it out. And when you're in the, in the trenches in close like that, you're going to get clipped, and he went down, and he got up. I mean, I, I, I try not to read too much into knockdowns unless it's something of a very devastating fashion. And uh, I didn't see it as that. He got popped right back up, um, kind of like he did against Anthony Joshua, and, and on with the fight they went. You know, so maybe for a few seconds after the knockdown, you're kind of, uh, if you're an Andy Ruiz fan, you're worried, okay, can he survive the round? But, uh, you know, getting knocked down to me does not, is not indicative of if you're going to be able to, you know, contend with the other top fighters in the weight class because, you know, him and Chris are guys that like to slug it out and you're going to get hit, and that's just what happened. So, uh, you know, is he going to get knocked out eventually? Probably, because fr frankly, most heavyweights at some point get knocked out. So, I mean, it's happened to, you know, other than maybe like Rocky Marciano, can you think of a top heavyweight that, that never got stopped? I mean, think of the greats. Klitschko got stopped. Um, you know, Lennox Lewis got stopped. Mike Tyson got stopped. Evander Holyfield later in his career got stopped. You, you go on down the list. I mean, at some point, guys get stopped. So, it's not, you know... Just because Holyfield got stopped late in his career, is anybody going to say that Evander Holyfield didn't have a good chin? Not one Foreman, of the Joe Frazier go even further back; they all got stopped. Yeah, so. exactly. George, I mean Ali, even you know at the end of his career, he you know had a great, great, great all-time chin. You know, in his waning days, he was stopped. So it happens. It's boxing; they get it does. they get hit. Now you're right. All right, let's move on to the fight we have this weekend: uh, Canelo, Billy Joe Saunders, unified 168-pound uh, championship. Let's start with what we've seen here in Dallas this week, specifically 
Uh, some of the gripes that Billy Joe Saunders has had about uh, what's been going on here. It, it began weeks ago with Billy Joe being upset about the fact that there will be no British judge involved in this contest. And it continued this week where Billy Joe threatened to leave if the ring size was not increased from 20 by 20 to 22 by 22. Uh, he eventually got his way. Uh, what, what, but what have you made of kind of Billy Joe being Billy Joe in a way? Billy Joe this? is doing what, what fighters do often uh, leading to fights, certainly after fights. He, he's setting up the excuse for when he loses and loses badly. That's what he's doing in my opinion. Um, you know, as, as Eddie Hearn has said, as is obvious, if you've ever watched Billy Joe Saunders fight, he has fought his entire career within the confines of the standard ring in the UK, which is 20 foot by 20 foot inside the ropes. And now he comes here to Dallas seeking a ring that is 24 by 24, which is within the Texas rules, but was never going to happen. Canelo asked for 18 by 18. Then they, you know, he was fine with 20, uh, which is what they were going to, which, which what the commission was going to set up. And, and Saunders makes the threat at 20 by 20 to leave if it's not 22 by 22. And, and as, as Eddie said, and I think Eddie is absolutely correct about this, when he went to Canelo to tell him what was going on and, and wanted to have Billy not just stay in his room all week and do media and make appearances and try to, you know, hype up the show a little bit more or lose all of that, you know, if, if Canelo would just give it to him, he would do all of the, the, the work that goes into promoting the event. But Canelo gave in, and, and basically it was sort of like, forget about that promotion stuff. I'm going to give it to him because I don't want to hear any excuses after the fight. That tells you how confident Canelo Alvarez is. And if you ask me, giving a guy a 22-foot ring or a 20-foot ring is not going to be the difference whether Billy Joe Saunders wins or loses this fight. So I applaud Canelo for not being, uh, you know, playing hardball and, and, and doing that. He's like, you want 22? I'll give you 22, and I'm still going to beat your ass. Let me just ask you this. Is it not insane that the ring size is a variable in a fight? Like, I know in baseball, parks have different dimensions, but those dimensions don't change from game to game. They're, they're uniform. Could you imagine, like, the Lakers saying, okay, if you come to L.A., you have to play on a smaller court? Or the Cowboys saying, our field's going to be... 120 yards long. Is it not a little bonkers? It's a little bonkers. That, that boxing rings can change in size based on the fights? It reminds me of the, one of the great scenes in movie history. I'm sure you've seen the movie Hoosiers. Yeah. When, when uh, the coach, go, uh, you know, uh, Gene Hackman, the coach, playing the coach, taking the small town team from the little high school gym and into this big giant arena for their big high school tournament, and he tells the, the kid on the team, you know, give me the tape measure, and he goes and he measures. Oh, yeah, the, ring's, uh, the, the, the basket's still 10 feet. I mean, it's a classic thing. The point being is you play in the 10-foot ring in our little dinky gym, and you guys got this far. We're going to do the exact same thing. It's just a bigger uh, attendance and a bigger stadium. So, yes, it's a little bit weird, but it, I think one of the reasons for that is because unlike in the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball where things can be uniform, boxing is a hodgepodge of state and local commissions, tribal commissions, other countries all around the world. And they have different rules and different, different abilities to provide a certain assets to the event. A ring size may be one of them. It's, you know, not everybody has a boxing ring laying around. So there has to be some kind of variable, maybe not that big, because if you look at the Texas rules, which, you know, I actually did this week when I was uh, writing about this ring size uh, situation, if you, there's very specific wording in the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation, which oversees combat sports in this state. 
where they say a boxing ring can be at their discretion, no less than 16 by 16 inside the ring, and no more than 24 by, I think it was 24 by 24 on the inside. So there is wiggle room because rings are different. It's not a uniform thing. So I get that. But in general, they should basically be 20 by 20 wherever you are. That's what they are in the UK. That's what they are almost every fight I can think of in Nevada, for example, where they have you know, a lot of the major fights. I believe the same thing in California. Uh, at the end of the day, it would have been 20 by 20. Billy Joe raised the stink. Canelo said, you know what, go screw yourself. I'll give you your 22 by 22, and I'm still going to kick your ass. And you I know, think he's going to do just, that. I, I get that the fractured nature of boxing and the fact that each state has its own set of rules makes it problematic. But I just love to see, like, how about, like, on a Zoom call, you get Nevada, Texas, New Jersey, and New York together and say, look, guys, let's, let's set some uniform rules here. Like, the four biggest states where you ha- in terms of boxing, California, throw them in the list too, five biggest states, you, you get some uniform rules. Like, it's just bonkers to me. And Sergio was bringing this up, like, you know, the the type, what the mat's made of matters too. Like, sure, absolutely. I mean, it's just like, this is insane. Like, the, the where you compete should not be a variable in the outcome of the fight. It, it should just be uniform. And if, you know, over time... People will adjust. Like, I've heard from people saying, no, flyweights can't fight in a 20 by 20 or 20. It has to be smaller. No, like, I, I, there's something to be said about that. Because I don't know. I mean, just who, people you, will you adjust. You would want to watch a flyweight fight in a, uh, just a gigantic ring. Do you think it would have mattered where Estrada and Chocolatito fought? Like, they were just playing Rock'em Sock'em Robot the that's entire true. time. That's true. I mean, that, that's the style of their fights. But, you know. How many flyweights do you know that move around, though? Like, I'm, these guys o- I'm just okay like, with a little bit of a variable. I think I Elwin that. Soto's going to need, like, a smaller ring? Probably like, not. come on. <laughs> I ran into Takayama's guys the other day, uh, the, uh, earlier this morning. They're very pumped up for you the fight. You think they're going to need a small ring for that? So. No. no I, I, I mean, I, I kind of like the Wild West nature of it to a certain degree. It's, it's interesting, but there should be some, at least, st- like, in other words, instead of the rule book saying 16 by 16 all the way up to 24 by 24, which is a pretty big spread, you know, it should be maybe smaller. I think that is standard in Nevada's uh, rules. That it is 20 by 20 when they redid some of their uh, statutes not that long ago, or, you know, however long ago it was that, that it's 20 by 20. Um, and, I, and as I said to Eddie when we were chatting earlier, I said, you know, their contract didn't specify a ring size. Like many boxing contracts, certain things are just subject to the local commission rules. So, you know, you have to accept what the, what the commission says because they're the organization that's regulating the event. My belief is if you don't want something to become an issue, put it in black and white. You know, you would never put in your employment contract, you know, pay me somewhere between, you know, whatever, you know, $10 and $20. You would say, no, pay me $20 or whatever the dollar figure is. They should do the same thing with ring size. They do it. Uh, there's been issues over gloves. I always say, if you don't want to have an issue over gloves, you put in that, you know, fighter, because usually it says you can pick your own gloves as long as they're approved by the commission. But if you want to be really specific, they should put in the, the, the contract that Billy Joe Sunder is going to wear eight ounce Grant gloves, that Canelo Alvarez is going to wear eight ounce, you know, no boxing, no life gloves, or whatever brand that they select, and be done with it. And there's no argument, particularly the week of the fight. If they wanted to argue and moan about the ring, that should have been handled a month ago. I would say one thing, too, about the griping over judging, like not having a British judge. It, it shouldn't matter where a guy comes from. But like, it does. It's it, boxing. It does. But, like, you know, British judges could just as easily screw over Billy Joe Saunders. 100%. Like, I mean, I, I think it goes back to the same discussion, right? Like, there should be a ranking system of judges. And at the very least, when you have a fight of this caliber, we know who the top three judges are. Like, Steve Weisfeld is not judging this fight. I don't know why. 
I, I have no idea why. Steve Weisfeld well, is gl- the best judge in boxing. I'm glad there's no British judge because then there's no pressure on him to vote for the Britter to, you know, As Canelo suffer, said, there's no Mexican judge either. 100%. So like, suffer the wrath of the... He's like, know, I'm not American. Yeah. I may live here, but I'm not American. No, and I mean, the judging panel that they picked, I forget, it's like, um, who was it? It's Glenn, Glenn Feldman, Feldman is on there. Um, it was a good group of... It's it was a good a, judge. It's a good it was, group of judges, um, yeah. I forget what the other one uh, uh, from uh, from Las Vegas. Um, but they, they picked reputable um, three American judges. Yeah. They picked, uh, you know, Mark Callow Oy, who's one of the best referees uh, in boxing. He's a Texas, I mean, a Texas referee who's done a number. And, you know, if you watch fights that take place here, he's done plenty of, of their significant fights. So, in my opinion... Their, their group of officials between the three judges and the referee, they're first-class, top-class guys. And, yeah. you know, uh, t- I think Tim Cheatham was one of the judges. I believe was so, one yeah. of the other judges. Check the list, um, it's a good group. The, no, it, the, the judging group is fine. But I'm glad, I'm glad there's no Brit, by the, and I'm glad there's no Mexican because that puts an unusual amount of pressure on the guy. If he votes for his hometown guy in a close fight, there's accusations. It's and if he of, goes against him, that guy <laughs> has to suffer the wrath of the fans in his home country. The is, then, then, like, if you're afraid of the fans, don't do the job. Like, just, I mean, just don't sign up to be a referee. Don't accept the assignment. Like, you don't have to take an assignment to be a judge in a fight like this. It should be the top three guys. I don't care if they are from Guam. They should be chosen as the top three judges in boxing. And they have done that for this fight. Um, if you were to yeah, make Weiss a list of here. the... Well, I mean, look, I mean, I have the highest regard for Steve Weisfeld. I've known Steve for like 20 years probably. He's a great judge, but he can't do every single fight. It's just not feasible. I mean, there are other qualified uh, boxing judges. So that's not I, a I agree. I'm just saying like the biggest of fights. Like the biggest of fights, the best of judges. Like that's not, doesn't solve all the problems, but at least. No, but they, they've, what they've done is they've taken from the pool of best judges. Right. So if you were to do, I'm not sure how you would do the ranking system, but whatever it would be, just just on your knowledge of what's considered a good scoring or bad scoring or whatever it is. If you looked at the, the folks that are assigned to this fight and you made a list like off the, you know, the group of officials that work regularly, there's no doubt that the, that the crew that they've selected for this fight, each and every one of those judges are elite, world-class, top-level judges who do a good job. You know, not every single fight maybe you agree with perfectly, but this is a good quality group of judges and I think they'll do a good job and an honest job, obviously. And Billy Joe Saunders, if he loses the fight by a decision, he's not going to have anything to moan about, I don't think. And vice, likewise, if he wins the fight, you know, Canelo shouldn't have anything to moan about as long as it's uh, perceived as, as a legitimate uh, decision. What, what I always have a problem with is when there's some crazy outlier judge that's not in the reality of not only the other two on the panel, but the entire boxing universe, be it fan, media, other people in the business. That CJ Ross for Canelo Mayweather. Because that can really bird. ruin the perception of a fight. If you have two judges that score a good job and one has it like 11-1, you just sort of like shake your head sometimes. Now, yeah. one thing that I, I – and I, I know it's sort of like in the weeds. People have to understand. I know there were some people that were kind of upset like, yeah, Ruiz beat uh, Ariola last week. But he didn't win, you know, 11-1, uh, to 1, which is what two of the judges scored it. And I've had this happen to me in certain fights. You can have, if you saw a score, and I told you the score of the fight was 118, and the other guy only won one round. Man, that was a blowout. No, 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 no. I've had fights where every single round, for the most part, is a close round. But because of whatever you see, you are just one after the other after the other, giving it to one guy. And when you tally it up, you got a, a scorecard that could be 10 to 2, 11 to 1. It doesn't mean it's a blowout fight. It can be a very competitive fight, even if the scores are wide. I, and I always think of a fight going back many years ago. I used to watch the old USA 
Network Tuesday Night Fights. There's a really good, exciting heavyweight fight between Andrew Galata and Corey Sanders, the African-American Corey Sanders from Washington, D.C. They put on an absolute brawl. Galata won the fight, and I believe it was like almost a shutout. And if you watch that fight, every single round was like a barn burner, and Galata won by that much like every single round. So just because they came up with the 11-1 on Areola and Ruiz doesn't mean it's not a competitive or close fight, and the same can be said for any number of other bouts. I agree. Every round is its own fight. That's how you, that's how you score People them. forget that, though. It's a three. It's two, it, you're really watching 12 fights. Right. All right, let's talk about this fight. Um, Bill, Canelo Alvarez coming into this as a significant favorite. Um, I think you and I both agree there's plenty of reasons why. Uh, what are kind of the unknowns for you in a fight like this? And I guess that's a, a roundabout way of saying, like, how does Billy Joe Saunders win? That's a very good question. I don't know how he wins. Uh, I, mean, I mean, there's certainly... You can get lucky and land a great punch. No, I don't even say lucky. I mean, he's a skilled boxer. But, you know, if, if you land and you can find the right spot, any boxer against another boxer can win if they happen to land the right shot. The problem is Canelo has proven time and again to have one of the greatest chins in boxing and doesn't get caught with a lot of stupid punches. And Billy Joe has never shown himself to be that big of a puncher. So, you know, while it's possible, the, the percentage, the chances of that happening seem to be awfully low. I, I, I think he might be able to be a little tricky, maybe – have some success boxing against Canelo. Can he do it enough to win seven rounds? I question that also. Um, you know, Canelo Alvarez, no David Lemieux. Um, it's a totally different ballgame. Now, that was the fight where, where, where uh, Billy Joe was an underdog, and he went to uh, Lemieux's home area up in, uh, in Quebec and just did a number on him, outbox him, and just not allow Lemieux to get into his game. But he's such a much more one-dimensional fighter than that Canelo is. You know, Canelo can box. He's got good defense. He's got a great offensive arsenal. He can do a lot more things, in my opinion, than Saunders can. He's got more ways to win. Can he win a decision? Of course. Can he win by a knockout? Yes. Can he do it by a headshot? Absolutely. Can he do it by a body shot? Can he win some rounds by boxing? Can he counterpunch? Absolutely. Can he come forward? Absolutely. You know, you know Billy can't do all that stuff. So it's a very daunting challenge. But again, Canelo wants to be the undisputed champion at the 168-pound weight class. And if you're going to get all four belts, you've got to fight the other guys with the titles. And Billy Joe's got the WBO belt, and that's the target right now. And that's what he wants to add to the other ones he's got. And then go after the uh, IBF champion, Caleb Plant, at the end of the year. So Saunders gets the fight, and uh, you know he's the underdog. Let's see if he can draw on his, on his uh, hubris. He's never lost before. He's an Olympian. He's got some good wins in his, in his career, even though they're not the A-plus level wins against Andy Lee, against Chris Eubank, against uh, you know, a couple other guys, against Lemieux. Um, but, I mean, I'm picking Canelo Alvarez. I think he stops him at some point in the fight. You know, my thing is that Billy Joe Saunders' best weapon is his jab offensively. And since he's moved up to super middleweight, the copy box numbers suggest he is even more prolific with that jab throws it a lot more in his fights no one's ever beaten Canelo by out jabbing him like Kovalev tried and had some success at least on the scorecards uh, Gennady Golovkin was excellent uh, with that power jab but he didn't win ultimately in that rematch uh, Arislandi Lara close fight through a lot of jabs in that fight but Canelo won that one and we're talking about at least with Golovkin and Lara two guys that I believe are better than Billy Joe Saunders. Oh, definitely. So if those two guys couldn't do it, I don't know how Billy Joe Saunders is going to do it. I think we're going to have to see, Dan, 
a completely different Billy Joe Saunders. And I don't think that guy's there. I don't think we're going to see a reinvented version of him that is going to pose Canelo the type of problems that you know make it possible for him to win. The only thing about that, what you just said about you know totally altering their style because what he has is probably not good enough to work, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I just had in the back of my mind, if, if he was going to be able to pull the upset, he might have to take a page out of his Tyson Fury's book. As we were talking about earlier, Tyson Fury is here. He's close friends with Billy Saunders. They're on the same team with each other. They've known each other forever. And it made me think about what Tyson Fury did in the rematch with Deontay Wilder, where he came to the press conferences and when he did his interviews and spoke to the media, he literally said to the press what the game plan was going to be. Now, fighters don't usually do that. So when Tyson Fury did that, I don't think a lot of us believed him, but he said, I'm going right after him. You're going to go right after him. What are you talking about? You know, he's a monstrous puncher. You're a boxer. You're, you know, got, you know, good moves and fast on your feet and good hand speed. What are you going to go right after the biggest puncher in the heavyweight division? I said, why would you, you know, not me, but I did, but plenty of other people also said the same. Why would you do that? You had so much success in the first fight. You, you know, you were able to do all these things. I mean, they gave you a draw, fine, but you, you know, you, a lot of people thought you won the fight. He said, I didn't win the fight. So if I didn't win the fight doing that, I have to do something different. And he went right after Deontay, exactly like he said he was going to do, and he beat him up and he knocked him out. So maybe the wisdom of what he did that worked when people were critical going into the fight has maybe rubbed off on Billy Joe or Tyson has told him to do that and, and Billy maybe takes that to heart. But there's a difference between trying to do it and taking it to heart and actually implementing it. Doing that against a multi-dimensional fighter like Canelo is a whole different ballgame. And I'm not in any way downgrading what Fury did against Wilder. But I think we can agree that Wilder is a much more one-dimensional fighter than Canelo is. Uh, I just don't see, even if he tries to change it up and, and, and go at him, that's like walking in, in my opinion, because of his versatility, is like walking into the propeller. Look, he's going to have to take Canelo out of his comfort zone. And I think that's what some of this this week has been about, or the last couple of weeks, you know, trying to get under Canelo's skin. But then, like, a lot of guys have tried to do that. You know, dating back Triple to G. Floyd Mayweather, Triple G, uh yeah, go down the list. I mean, even like Kovalev to a not really Kovalev, Daniel Jacobs. Listen, they had a little face to face pushing match at the weigh in. Like you know, I mean, everybody's guys have tried that with Canelo. He's, you and I he's, have both covered a lot of Canelo fights. I mean, the guy fought for me, a promoter he hated. Like I mean, like to is, me, he's unflappable. Canelo Alvarez is one of the most mentally strong fighters, not just of since I've covered boxing, but even when you read about other fighters, he just has something in his mind where. He just has that um, unbreakable, like no one's going to mess him up on his game plan. I mean, even with Mayweather, when he was a baby and he lost the fight, he never like got out of sorts in that fight. Floyd didn't really ruffle him and, or, or get him you know, off his game or make him do something that was unusual or anything like that. Uh, you know, Canelo knows who he is. He knows what he can do. He's very confident. And uh, I don't think Billy Joe Saunders could do anything no matter what he says or does in the build-up to this fight, that's going to take him off of his game plan. Part of that's because of Canelo's own, um, you know, mental focus. Part of it's because of the team he has around him that keeps him that way. Um, you know, he knows it's his event. Uh, you know, Billy is, is uh, you know, you've got to have two guys in the ring, but he knows everybody's coming to see him. Nothing he's going to do. No, no threats of leaving Texas uh, because the ring was two feet different than what he wanted or, or anything like that. I just don't see it happening. 
not to look past Billy Joe Saunders here. No, let's but, look past the Billy right, Joe. Well, we can do that. But like you know, Canelo's made it clear he wants to win all four pieces of the super middleweight title, become the first fighter to ever win all four belts. Um, you know that means beating Caleb Plant. I don't have a lot of confidence that fight's going to happen in September, Dan. I got to be honest. Let me tell you why. Um, it, look, it, it began to germinate for me last weekend, maybe even before that. But last weekend, when 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 Caleb Plant did that interview on the Ruiz Ariola pay per view. You know, Brian Kenny, our good friend, was trying to walk him towards like a Canelo conversation. And he really wasn't going there. Like he wasn't willing to even say Canelo's name, I don't think. And I, that, that kind of struck me as odd. Well, he has said that, though. That's not like, I mean, I've interviewed Caleb in the recent past. and he's But this is like, him. I'm just saying this was an opportunity kind of for him to on, you know, in a, a big platform to talk about Canelo and, and do it. And that kind of struck me. That, that resonated with me a little bit. And in a bigger sense, if this fight's not, on Fox pay-per-view or Showtime pay-per-view, whatever it is, even if the money's better, I'm not sure Caleb Plant comes over. Like, I'm, I'm not sure that... Like, Eddie Hearn, on behalf of DAZN, is going to... And he's going to represent Canelo in these talks. Like, that's that. this relationship is... Whether it's on paper or not, it's going to continue. Right. There's, there's a lot of comfort there on Agreed. the Canelo side. Um, Eddie's going to present an offer with guarantees that may and probably will uh, dwarf... <laughs> what Fox and Al Heyman are willing to guarantee. And if that's the case, like Canelo may say like, well, I want all four belts, but like if I'm not going to, if I'm going to make X more guaranteed dollars, why am I fighting for X less on Fox? I, I just think it's a, that's a kind of a, a scrambled way of saying, I think the finances and the politics could get involved and cause that fight to be delayed at some point. The only reason why that fight wouldn't have, if Canelo wins on Saturday, no injuries, he's ready to go in the fall. The only reason why that fight wouldn't happen, in my opinion, is because, and I'm not even saying Caleb Plant, the individual athlete, but something on the other side decides that we don't want to do it at this moment. Because no matter what the offer is, whether it's on the zone platform or it's on Fox or Showtime, Caleb Plant will make multiples of millions, way more than he ever made in his life before this fight, and likely after this fight, no matter what happens. Because even if he knocks off Canelo, you know, just because you beat the man doesn't, doesn't mean you become the man, at least in terms of your earning power. I always think back to when, you know, uh, De La Hoya controversially lost the second fight to Mosley and wanted to do a third fight. And Shane, you know, wouldn't take, a, I forget what it was, like 10, like some crazy number that was way more than he already won. He wanted to have... The, the much bigger share. I'm like, you, you, Oscar's still the star, and a lot of people thought he won. In other words, you don't get that uh, just because you win the fight. So, look, I think Caleb Plant, the athlete, always says I'll fight anybody. He's not showed any, um, any, any reason to think that he's not serious. He's fought the guys they put in front of him. He's fought some good opponents. Canelo, no one's going to question his ability to, or desire to fight the top guys. He's been talking about the 168 title all this time. He's actually giving uh, Plant a little bit of leverage because he's made it so much a part of his – of his, of his sales pitch that I want to do this. So if the other guy is the one holding that final piece of the puzzle, you know, you have to pay for that. So I don't think that the Canelo team has a problem paying him a tremendous amount of money to do the fight. Um, sometimes fighters and their teams have to learn how to say yes. Um, but I also, by that same token, if, the, if there's a similar kind of deal, I don't think that Canelo would have a problem. I think it would probably be on Showtime. He's comfortable there. He's done a number of his bigger fights uh, prior to his coming to HBO and then to the zone. He did a lot of those early fights uh, on pay-per-view with Showtime. Uh, there's a comfort there, I know, that between him and Steven Espinoza. So 
I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. What, what possible fight could Caleb Plant have that could, A, give him more money, B, give him more glo- potential glory, and C, even if he loses, give him you know, a huge amount of notoriety and credibility? There's and, nothing. It doesn't there's exist. There's nothing. There's nothing. Like, you know, David Benavidez is out there. Great and fight, Benavidez doesn't mean anything compared him, to Canelo. Maybe beat him. Like he's, I mean, that's a... No, but how, who in their right mind would say, I'm going to go fight, I'm Caleb Plant. I'm going to go fight David Benavidez instead of Canelo Alvarez. What, are you an idiot? I, I just worry that, like, and look, I, I'm not, as a, as a boxing fan, I, I'm not dying to see Plant versus Canelo. Like, I, it's, it's relevant. I don't know that it's the I'd like biggest see, fight out there. I'd, I'd still like to see Canelo Golovkin 3. I'd like I'd to rather see, see Plant Canelo than the third Golovkin fight. Nah, I wouldn't. And I say that because, to me, boxing history is important. And when you can do something that has never been done... Yeah, it's to only me, never that's been done because deal. we created a WBO belt like 20 years ago. It's the only reason it never was Whatever done. the reason. The point is, even in the three-belt era, there was never an undisputed super middleweight champion. Canelo Alvarez is the number one star in boxing. He's the pound-for-pound number one. Caleb Plant's an undefeated guy with a good record against some good opponents. He's got a world title. The undisputed title is something, and I always say this, if it was so easy to do, everybody would do it. It's hard. It's freaking hard yeah. to be undisputed. And, and, and Canelo is on the path. If he wins Saturday, there's one more, one more to do it. So give me that fight. That's a very big fight. It's a big freaking deal. If they could sell 70000 or 65000 for Canelo to fight here in Texas against an unknown, at least to the American audience, a British fighter, what do you think they could do against a guy like Caleb Plant, who's from Tennessee, a Midwest American, you know, amateur quality fighter, now a, a world champion? I agree. That's a big deal. That's a much bigger fight, in my opinion, in the United States, Canelo versus Plant than Saunders. I just, again, I just worry about the finances. I think, I think DeZone, yeah, no, I think DeZone I Dan is going to do really well on this fight. Yeah. Um, both in the U.S. and the U.K., where they are now uh, established, uh, and they're going to want to throw a ton of money. At a, at a plant versus Canelo show. They're not going to want to have Canelo on and then just like let him walk away. They don't have rights to him, but they're going to make it financially, you know, unpalatable for him to walk away. And then like, we'll, because like, I mean, we've seen some weird, I don't people get on me for some of the criticisms I, I level at, at PBC fighters at times, but we've seen some weird things happen. Like shout out to Tom Brown for some of the craziest fucking comments I've ever heard in my life about how people prefer to see, you know, Jamal Charlo versus Juan, Montiel, like I mean, it's like the whole thing is is just crazy. I, I like I, we just see some weird things happen on that side of the street where like money doesn't necessarily talk and prestige doesn't necessarily talk every time. There have been a few guys that have been affiliated with uh, PBC and Al Heyman who have been able to take a walk and get bigger deals on on other platforms. Jesse Vargas did it and made a lot of money fighting in some DAZN fights and is going to probably be back on DAZN later in the year. Daniel Jacobs, same thing. So it's not unprecedented that a quality PBC guy who was uh, advised But Jacobs also was kind of, he was HBO for a while. No, but I'm just saying he had a relationship with Heyman. He did. And so while the vast majority of those fighters do their thing on the PBC shows on Fox and Showtime, there are examples of quality fighters like the ones I just mentioned who have been able to uh, walk across the street to do things for the right deals, either as a one-off or for multiple fights. And, and hopefully, whether it's Canelo going there or it's a plant coming to zone, that they can work out the fight because that's the fight that should happen. I mean, in fact, when Caleb Plant fought earlier this year, 
uh, and I did, I did an interview with him for something I'd written for, I forget if it was her boxing senior for the ring, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one that he said this to. The whole reason they decided to fight Caleb Truex, who was the mandatory, although it wasn't due yet, was to clear the deck of the mandatory to allow them to have the space to do whatever they wanted later in the year, specifically in the event that there was hopefully a Canelo Alvarez fight, which is obviously a huge fight. Because don't forget, it's not just that Canelo would have the chance to be the undisputed champion. It's a chance for yeah. Caleb Plant to be the undisputed champion. Huge chance. I mean, so if you work your whole life as a professional boxer, you know, as an amateur first, as a kid, now up to the pro ranks, you get a world title, you've, you've made some good money, but not, you know, massive, massive life-altering money, and you get the opportunity to fight the number one guy, the guy that's perceived as the best for, again, the most money that you're ever going to make probably ever, period, for one single event in your, fight, in your fight career prior to the fight or probably after the fight. And if you win, you're the undisputed champ of the world. That's never been done before. Why else do you do all that road work? Why else do you go hit the bag? Why else do you run you know, when no one's watching? Why do you do all the things you do to prepare yourself for the battle? Because the punches feel the same, whether you're fighting a nobody opponent or you're fighting a top quality guy, still getting hit in the face. Get hit in the face for the most money and the most glory. That's the fight. So if they turn it down, if the offer is not palatable, I'm, again, we're getting ahead of ourselves because yeah. there's a fight Saturday, and you know, maybe they'll be but able to make a deal But those talks pick easily. up quickly. If they want to yeah. fight in September, so we're I, I just a hope few months that, away. That, they, that, that Canelo comes out, that, that the fight, you know, everybody will take a, you know, take, a, you know, take a couple of weeks off or a month off, but then Eddie, Eddie Hearn will, will get the marching orders to go talk to the PBC side of the street and see if they can make the fight. And uh, I see absolutely no reason why it shouldn't. There's no contract from a promoter, or a TV network, there's no issues with the sanctioning bodies. There's nothing that's in, in the way of that fight being made. All right, let's finish uh, with a quick thought on another fight we want to see made. Fury, Joshua. It's kind of comical, Dan. We've oh got Tyson Fury hanging in the lobby. You've got Eddie Hearn hanging in the lobby. Uh, all we need is like a fax contract from Saudi Arabia to get this uh, deal done. But like, where do you think we stand with all this? You've got doomsday predictions from Bob Arum. You've got rosy optimism from Eddie Hearn. Like, where where do you fall on that? That's spectrum? probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, you know, it's. You're never as uh, bad as you are in your worst day or as good as you are in your best day, and it's sort of the same thing. I mean, you know, Bob is uh, – the, 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 the world is going to fall apart, and Eddie is like, you know, it's nothing but roses. Um, obviously, if it was going to be easy, it'd be, the deal would be done already. There, there's, there's, there's problems because I, I try to use common sense. I know that doesn't always work in boxing. One thing I have realized is when you analyze a situation that's occurred where it looks like somebody's done something really ridiculous or crazy or stupid or they're making the wrong decision, I finally realized that – it happens because there are people in this business who are just idiots, and they just it, they do things that don't make sense. I'm not in any way suggesting that's the case with Eddie or Bob, who are you know both very intelligent you know uh, business people who know their know what know what's going on and how to do a deal. The problem is if you are putting up 150 million dollars or thereabouts, and you can't bring in the crowd at this moment in time in Saudi Arabia because of the pandemic. You know, it, it's sort of like Aram said to me in an interview. He's like. Oh, they make these great deals. Everything is good. They put up the money. Everything is square. And then somebody says, yeah, but how we, what about the COVID? And then it's like kind of, it's like a shock back to reality. So again, I've always thought this. I do think that the fight will happen. I'd be disappointing if it didn't, obviously, I think for everybody. But I have been skeptical that it would take place in that summer time frame, that it might have to get pushed a little bit. And I know it's been written about and talked about a little bit, but it's never like at the top of the list for problems. I think it's a big freaking deal 
that they're trying to plan this fight at the same time when the Olympics are going to be taking place. Not as competition in terms of the viewing audience, but because the single most important member of Team Joshua, besides Joshua, is Rob McCracken, his trainer. And Rob McCracken uh, also is the head coach of Team Great Britain. And I just have no idea how you make that decision. That's like, you know, do you save your one child or your other child? In other words, he's been with Anthony Joshua his whole career. Eddie, I mean, uh, Anthony Joshua and, and Rob have a bond like no other, in my opinion. You know, he didn't get rid of him after he lost uh, the fight with, with uh, Andy Ruiz. I mean, he spoke about how that, for, that was never going to happen, that Rob is part of him, part of his team. They're as close in my mind, as far as I know, as you can make the argument as it is with Canelo and Eddie Reynoso. I mean, it seems to me they're together for the long term. He's not leaving Anthony Joshua in the biggest fight of his life for the undisputed championship to be at the Olympics. And by the same token, you put your heart and soul as a coach into these young kids who it's been their dream forever to represent their country in the Olympics. Rob came up through that amateur system. He knows how important that is to these kids. How do you let those kids down at the biggest moment of their life and, and leave them in the hands of another coach for the Olympic Games? So it's the, it's the ultimate I just solve and don't, split the baby I mean, But I just don't see how you overcome that. So... You know, maybe they've formulated some kind of plan, but I think that I don't is think that, that I don't could, think they have because the way it was explained to me by two people was that AJ has said to Rob, "You know, you do what you got to do. Like I, I can, I'll do this fight without you." I, I don't. That strikes me as odd. Like, could you see like Canelo Alvarez? I don't think going Rob up? would do that to Joshua. Though. I don't think he would either. But like, I mean, I don't even know what. Like, is there a situation where he could take a private jet back and forth on the Saturday, like, and get back you into gotta, the Olympic bubble? In I mean, fight, you got to do the promotion. But you got to have. You got to be with your guy. I, mean, I agree. That's that's not something you mess around with. I mean, that's you want to talk about getting ready to make an excuse. That's that's definitely there uh, lined up to be an excuse maker if your guy loses the fight. But you need to give an, on, on on the level of the undisputed heavyweight championship and the Olympic Games, you got to give your best for both sides. So, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to happen, but again, that's just one significant factor in my mind of why the fight maybe gets pushed off the fall. And the other thing that people have to understand is it's not just about you know a bunch of rich. Uh, folks in Saudi Arabia saying, you know, we're going to write you a big check and come and fight in our stadium or our location. The people in Saudi Arabia who, you know, it sounds like, okay, they, they, want, the one, they want to put up the 150, but there have been other things that they requested to sort of make up for that that was not necessarily the way a site deal is done. They wanted to think that some of that money was going to buy elements of broadcast rights and sponsorship deals and that sort of stuff. And, that, you know, that's real minutiae inside baseball stuff, but that's not a normal site deal. And I'm sure they've had a come to grips with how they're going to work that out. And you remember, as Eddie has stated a thousand times, it's not just they're talking to like Aram or they're talking to like his lawyer or this. You've got the Aram side and all the lawyers. You've got the Frank Warren side and the lawyers. You've got the Joshua side and the lawyers. You've got the Fury side and the lawyers. You've got Eddie and his people. You've got MTK and their people. I mean, there's a lot of cooks in this kitchen. And it's hard to make the perfect dinner when you got that many people throwing stuff into the pot. Yeah, I agree. Uh, hopefully it all gets resolved. And whether it's August, September, I, I don't really care. I mean, like... Eddie says he wants to be able to get it done to announce it in the ring I don't think that's after Saturday. But that seems that seems like far stretch. It, 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 where we're sitting here right now as we record this on Thursday afternoon, um, I don't... Uh, I, that seems like a bit of a stretch. Well, hopefully it'll get done. And, hey, uh, I'd love to be the one standing there to talk to him. Like, Eddie, yeah. AJ, well, Fury, get to ask the AJ Fury, what do you, uh, you got? And meanwhile, Fury comes in, rips the mic out of my hand again, which he did. He'll be at the fight, so maybe you can get an interview with him after the fight. I know, Fury. <laughs> what kind of, depends on what kind of mood he's in. If, if somehow Saunders pulls it up, so I'm sure he'll be in a giddy mood at that point. He'll probably start singing. Oh, God. All right, Dan, appreciate it, man. Always good to catch up with you. And welcome back to, uh, to the scene, man. Back on the scene. I appreciate it. 
When we come back, my conversation with Roy Jones. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Roy Jones Jr. is a future Hall of Famer, longtime broadcaster. He's actually here in Dallas to be part of of the DAZN broadcast of Canelo Alvarez's super middleweight unification fight against Billy Joe Saunders, also a trainer. His fighter, Chris Eubank Jr., just picked up a win last weekend. Happy, Roy, with uh, what you saw from Chris Eubank? Very happy with what I saw. More with the mental growth than anything, but the mental side of it showed me that he's really dedicated himself to becoming a better fighter because when you see a guy that far in his career and he's still willing to change, and do things against his own will to better himself, it shows you that he's definitely trying to grow in the sport. You look at trainers, and 
the most successful ones, Freddie Roach, Emmanuel Stewart, um, even here, Eddie Reynoso, not great fighters. You know, you, you don't see too many all-time great fighters operating as trainers. Why is that, do you think? Because all-time great fighters have a hard time being patient enough to deal with guys who can't accomplish what they accomplished. They were all-time greats for a reason. Most guys like Reynoso, like my father, like Freddie Roach, like Emmanuel Stewart, they know exactly why they didn't make it. They figure it out. When they figure out why they didn't make it, they know how to go keep other people people from making the same mistakes and not making it. So it's like certain guys learn certain things about themselves that had I done this, I would I could have been champ. So now when I teach somebody, I'm going to teach them how to do that so that they won't have the same faults that I had. I think that's true for Freddie. I think that's true for a lot of guys. My dad taught me, but my dad taught me all the stuff that he didn't do. And that's what made me so well. You didn't have too many faults in your, your prime. Not in my prime. You know, my prime <laughs> Not in your prime. Pretty, I was a pretty slick dude in my prime. You know? <laughs> so, but do you ever get frustrated? Like the guys you train with, like if they can't do what you know you could do in your best days? No, because one thing that I understood off top was that I have a lot of faith in God. You know, my whole career was based on my faith and it is based on my faith in God. Therefore, when you have faith in God, you learn a lot about people, about nature, about reality. You know, it's like, it's not coincidence that some people are tall, some people are short, some people are fast, some people are strong, some people are offensive-minded, some people are defensive-minded. But what I do know is to understand that whatever DNA walks through that door, it's the start of what we're going to do. So if he's a tall guy, then quite naturally we want to fight outside and fight long. That's going to be our A-side. But we're also going to learn how to fight inside and be a small guy if we have to because most small guys are going to come try to crowd us because we're tall and they're going to expect us to be good outside, which we should be. But they're not going to expect us to also be good inside. So I try to use the DNA to create the most balanced fighter that I can get out of his own DNA. Is training... Are you looking to expand your stable of fighters? I mean, how do you approach training in terms of who you Man, work with? Man, um, it's kind of hard for me because I love boxing so much that if a kid is dedicated, I'd I be willing to try to train. You feel me? <laughs> so I, I'm just I'm just like that. I just never really – I mean, you should pick and choose only guys that you feel can carry out what you train or what you teach. But what I understand about boxing too is that a lot of times the guys who struggle, they help the guys who don't struggle because they learn to appreciate the fact that they're not struggling. Mm -hmm. uh, the guys who struggle, they also show the guys that do get it how hard it is for some people who aren't blessed with the gift to be able to have it. The guys that struggle sometimes show the guys that are doing it, that may struggle a little bit with something, how to overcome what they're struggling with because they watch these guys struggle so much. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to learn from the struggle. Everybody understands that the struggle don't pay as much. No, it doesn't. But there's a lot of skill, a lot of different lessons that God can teach you through a struggling fighter or a person that's struggling to catch, cultivate what you want to teach him in the ring. We saw you back in the ring for the Triller event. You're, you're officially retired, though, right? Yeah, I'm Is officially retired, officially yeah. Retired. Eligible for the Hall of Fame in 2022. Maybe. Maybe? Maybe. Not, not so sure about that? Well, you never know. 2021 ain't over yet. You know, somebody <laughs> might call me out. But if you, you're, never know, you never know what happened. You, then you're not officially retired. Well, I am retired, but you know, I mean, I, a retired boxer ain't never retired. Yeah. Because, I mean, I heard a guy named, well, I ain't going to call his name, but I heard a guy just say the other day that I'm 
washed up and I'm all washed to pieces and I told him, well, won't he come show me that? So, you know what I mean? You never know what might happen. You know but what we I mean? all get washed up at some point. I, well, I'm washed up. Like, I don't even know yeah, if I had an athletic prime. Yeah, but I'm a different kind of washed you up. You are. <laughs> You're a much better version I'm of washed up. I'm still a monster when I'm washed up. You yes. feel me? So. <laughs> um, if I had told the 1996 version of Roy Jones that he wouldn't be eligible for the Hall of Fame until 2022, what would you have thought? He said, I ain't sure it's going to work then. He'll tell you the same thing I'm telling you now. You might, you might better wait until 2021 to tell him they're going in in 2022. Cause, and don't even tell him. Because if you tell him that 2022 he's eligible, he'll probably end up saying yes to somebody before 2021 is over. That's just who he is. But you were at, no, but in your prime, you were adamantly against fighting long. Like you were public about it. For mm, I was adamant against it because they had gotten boring. Yeah. And um, here's what happens to you in boxing, though. <laughs> Once you get away and do all you want to do, and you realize there ain't nothing more to do, then you say, okay, let me back up and let these other guys have it. But when you see that these other guys don't tend to it the way it should be tended to, mm-hmm. it pisses you off, make you want to go back and, and tend to it the way it should be tended to. Mm-hmm. So it's like when I see these guys, it's like me and Mike Tyson had an exhibition with, that was even more entertaining than most of these top fight guys Fights to these top guys are having now. Or they won't get in the ring with each other. Mm-hmm. We got in the ring with each other. You know, I should never have gotten in the ring with a Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. I, I came from 154. <laughs> you understand me? Mm-hmm. I turned pro as a dream of the week. Mm-hmm. Who would ever thought I'd get in the ring with the youngest and one of the most prolific heavyweight champions of all time? I mean, who would have thought you got in the ring back in 03 with Ruiz? As like, a I dream mean, middleweight. <laughs> there's a you, lot of. You yeah, thought yeah. as a dream middleweight. Yeah. middleweight. So it's like, man can't dictate what I do. Mm-hmm. That's obvious. God dictates what I do. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say I, I'm trying to make it to 22. <laughs> we don't know what God's plan is. <laughs> so I never know. So officially, unofficially retired. We'll yeah. call it we'll Officially, call it that. unofficially, yes. That. Well, your, your thriller experience, how was it? It was pretty good. It's just that, uh, you know, the, they didn't do what they were supposed to do as far as the payout went. Yeah, Mike seemed to suggest that. Yeah, so uh, that, that didn't happen properly. And how they continue on with these other fights and all, and they haven't took care of of what they're supposed to take care of yet, still befuddles me. But um, hopefully we'll get a lawyer get to the end to get down to the nuts and bolts of the situation. Are we talking about a substantive amount of money here? Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. So, you know. But it's all good. It's like for me, I, was, I took it because I was trying to get people something to look forward to during the COVID time. Mm-hmm. And it was a big event, something that people I knew they wanted to see because it was it wasn't like I'm fighting a guy that can't fight. I'm fighting a guy that's bigger than me mm-hmm. and was – me and him both were looked upon once as the baddest two dudes on the planet. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I was doing what Floyd doing and fighting somebody who has no idea what they're doing. I'm fighting one of the baddest dudes that ever going there. You understand mm-hmm. me? At 52 years old. Mm-hmm. And he 54, but he's still him. And I still hits. I know he hitting just as hard now as he was hitting just back then, I mean. So it's like, I don't do crazy things. When I do it, I do it for real. I mean, when I lose a draw, I take mine, but you know, I'm going for real. So, um, I love life, man. I enjoy what I do, and I'm always about being a realist. So that's what it is. You know, when people bemoan how you and Mike did big business and like other quote real fights don't do as big business, that, that drives me crazy because it's easy to fix that. Fight real fights, right? Like, duh, I mean, duh. <laughs> but you say duh, but like it's you know, how many times do we have to see you know A side versus D side in boxing? I mean, you you were in the 1990s. Boxing was at a, like right up there with basketball and the NFL, and you know when you fought, like the world stopped. When you know the heavyweight fights to happen, the world stopped. Nowadays, 
it's like between like lacrosse and soccer in terms of, of popularity. And, and that's all because these guys aren't fighting. To, this, to, to make it honest, man, I'm going to keep it real with you. I listened to Dr. J and Dominique Wilkins on TV the other day. And Doc, Dominique Wilkins said something very profound that when, the way he said that made me understand why I was a Michael Jordan fan as opposed to being a fan of a lot of the guys today. Some of the guys that I'm a fan of, Damian Lillard's one of my favorites, Giannis and Huge boxing fan, Damian Lillard. Yeah, Giannis and Kyrie Irving. These guys, Russell Westbrook, I love a lot of these guys that, that play right now. You feel me? But what the problem was is today, and the th same thing is spilled over to boxing. Back in the day, in my heyday, we wanted to know who the best was. So you can't go join a team with somebody who almost as good as you because now we ain't never going to find out who the best we wanted to know who the best was. Dominique, Magic, Jordan, Bird. They wanted to know who the best was. They couldn't play together. No. We gonna get, I'm going to be in my squad. You're going to be in your squad. And let's find out who the best. But the ultimate showdown is who's the best of the leaders of the team. Or like Magic was the best at leading a team. You understand me? But him and Bird still had that personal battle inside that battle. Who was the best? Mm -hmm. You understand me? I don't think there's ever been, really been many more people that could lead a team and make a player play as good as Magic could. Uh, Mike could make them play pretty good too, don't get it wrong, but Magic did some phenomenal things. Magic made Ralph Sampson win the MVP in a, what they call it, the game? When they Final set game? All-Star game. game. All-Star game. All yeah. game. He made Ralph Sampson win the MVP. That was all Magic Johnson. You understand me? Because that's how magic was. But like Dominique said, the difference was in that day was that we wanted to see who was the best. Nowadays, it's not like that. Nowadays, it's how can I make the most money? How can I stay this way? How can I stay that way? So it's not about who's the best no more. Because if it was, these guys wouldn't be able to sleep at night without making a deal happen. Because when I was in my heyday, you know, I used to get on national TV and give my phone number. Call me <laughs> if you think you got a chance. You understand me? Did Darius Mikulczewski ever get that phone number? Did he? he, he <laughs> HBO got his phone number, though, and he, and, and he wouldn't come. They offered him five million to come over here, and he wouldn't come. They sure did. They got his phone number and called him. He wanted he no part come. of that. He, no, he didn't. Does that, I mean, there's lobbying. You go back and look at a lot of things, but did that ever frustrate you? I mean, how no, much did that frustrate it don't, you? it don't frustrate me, man. You can't get mad. The reason it didn't frustrate me was because, listen, like I just told you right there, if you really want to see who the best, then you're going to go to where the best at. I had seven titles. He had one. Who the best? You, on paper. You're the best. Okay, so if you want to prove that ain't the case, come see me. <laughs> but I'm not going to come to you. I'm the man. <laughs> Why would I come to you? They just stole my gold medal in Seoul, in Seoul career oh, that I still ain't got yet. I don't think enough people whoa, 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 whoa. are good. <laughs> but I still ain't got that yet. Now you think I'm going to bring my seven titles and bring them to your backyard mm -hmm. to ask you to take them again? No. 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 Where's the silver medal? I don't know. My mama got it somewhere, I guess. <laughs> don't You don't want to look at it? No, I don't want nothing to do with it. I don't think people not, not enough people know that that story. I mean, it, if you look it up, it's one. It's probably the greatest robbery of all time. It is in, an Olympic history, I think. Yeah, I, it, I mean, robbery in terms of corruption too. Like that was yep. taken from you, a gold yep. medal in the nineteen eighty eight Olympics. How often do you think about that? I mean, you think about it all the time because mm -hmm. people are always going to bring it to your attention. But yeah, I mean, you know, in reality, and I must tell people this too because I am a firm believer of God, and I know that God has led me throughout my life, and so it's like God took a negative, the biggest negative that I thought I could have had and turned it into the biggest positive that I ever could have had because had I not got robbed of a gold medal, I probably would have had no aspirations 
to become heavyweight champ of the world. I probably would have been happy with just becoming a world champ and thought I did what I was supposed to do. I got a gold medal. I became world champion. I did all the stuff the way the book said it's supposed to go. But since they took my gold medal, it pissed me off to a point where now I got to go become an overachiever. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. The first person ever to turn professional as a junior middleweight and become heavyweight champ of the world. The first and only person to ever do it. The only living person, the only person on planet Earth to ever turn pro as a junior middleweight and become heavyweight champ. How many people can say they're the only person? Only. One. <laughs> you. That's it. You mentioned guys don't want to see who the best is. The guy we're going to see Saturday, I think he wants to see who the best is. He's a, he's a different guy. He mm -hmm. does. I got to give him credit. Mm -hmm. He does, and I'll tell you who else does. Terrence Crawford does. Yep. Those two guys, want, they want to see who the best. Mm -hmm. Those two, I know. Of. It's, a, it's a few guys around that still want to see, but I'm saying that that's what has happened to the sport. It's not enough of that anymore. You mm -hmm. understand me? Because if there's an A side and there's an, a, is there's an East and a West, then we need to see who the best. If there's a North and a South, we need to see who got the mouth. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So we need to know you create two sides so that we can have a massive championship at the end. Mm -hmm. It's baseball like that, football like that, basketball like that. I don't watch soccer, but I'm sure soccer like that. You understand me? Tennis, everything is like that. Mm -hmm. You get a joke, Joker, Djokovic, and what's the guy he plays all the time? Uh, Nadal, Federer, guys N like that. Federer. Yeah. I think with Federer. There's always somebody. Mm -hmm. McEnroe has somebody he always got a battle with. The horse, the horse secretariat had another horse that he always had to battle with. You understand me? Mm -hmm. But he had to always chase that horse down and beat him at the end. Mm -hmm. And he did it almost every time, pretty much every time. But he had to beat that horse every time because that horse tried to beat him every time they raced. That's, his, that's who made him so famous. You understand me? So, Ellie, can't, Ellie may not be Ellie without Frazier. You understand where I'm coming from? It's just the Tommy Shigway Leonard wouldn't be Shigway without Tommy. We got to have that. So, if you have that, but you duck and dodge it, are you really the best? And Can't then, how can, then how can you say you're the best ever? Because you didn't even fight the best when it was time to fight the best. So it's like, that's what the problem is today. We've watered the sport down with money, which I ain't saying that the people don't deserve to make money. People deserve to make a lot of money. They put their lives on the line. But don't make it be just solely about money. It's still a sport here. Those other guys fought blood, sweat, and tears for next to nothing. Sherry Robinson fighting three times in the, two times in a three-week span. You understand where I'm coming from? These mm -hmm. guys fought. Sugar Ray Robinson was like 14 times in like 11. Like he was do, doing some crazy. He was fighting. Do uh, you hit me? Yeah, I do, yeah. I got a guy named Shady Gamore. He did the same thing. He fought two times in three weeks. I mean, he fought three times in 14 days. Mm -hmm. He fought Friday. He fought next Friday. Then he fought the following Saturday. That's two weeks. Mm -hmm. He fought three times. That's, that's people that want to fight. Yep. They ain't worried about the money. They trying to fight. Mm -hmm. You understand me? That's what we, where we've lost ourselves at. There's a confusion between getting messed up about money and being willing to fight whoever. You understand? And that's what messes up the sport. I was so glad when the zone came in and gave Canelo that big contract because it showed that his, their appreciation for him for going out taking on all comers. He, take, he's, he was taking on all comers. People would expect him to even fight Billy Joe because Billy Joe is a really good fight for him and Billy Joe is a hell of a boxer. It's, a matter of how, it's just a matter of how much Billy Joe got left in the tank or how good this fight going to be. But they wouldn't expect Canelo to fight him, but look what Canelo doing. Look how long they made Canelo wait before he fought Triple G. They had his own country turning against him because they wanted him to wait, 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 wait. He wanted to fight Triple G, but they wanted him to wait. But his own Mexican population started turning against him because they're saying, why are you not fighting this dude? They want to see the best fight the best. That's, what they, that's all they know. No, we don't run from nothing. So his own people was making him look bad 
by not allowing him to fight Triple G. Hence why when I was in my prime, I didn't really have a promoter. Because you ain't going to tell me who I can't fight. If he's supposed to be good as me, we fight him. We got to fight in the street. We fight him. And if we fight in the street, we, then you have to put me in the ring with him too. But we're going to fight. No matter where we got to fight, we're going to fight. If I thought you were better than me, we're going to fight. I was or talking I, to Canelo this week. If I thought you were good as me, we're going to fight. If I thought you were on that level, we're going to fight. But go ahead. I was talking to Canelo this week about he's 30 years old. He's in his prime. Uh, did, I asked him, did he feel unbeatable? And he's, you know, he was respectful of his opponents and of the sport, but he said, yeah, I feel unbeatable. You might be the only guy in boxing that could pro- possibly understand that. I mean, did you feel, was there a period of time in your career where you're like, you can't touch me, nobody can touch Couldn't me? Couldn't at all. Couldn't even put a glove on me hardly. Yeah. What years? What, was, what were those years for I you? I would tell up to heavyweight. Once I won the heavyweight title, when I came down and lost all that weight, that's the only time I got to where they could touch me. Before that, they couldn't touch me. What does that's, that feel like? It just feel like, like I'll tell you what, Brian Kenny got on, Brian Kenny got on ESPN, the night before I fought John Ruiz, and he explained it best. He said, now you can go back and look it up. He said either Roy Jones is disillusional or he's the most confident athlete I've ever seen. Brian Kennedy said that on ESPN the night before I fought, May 2nd, before I fought the third. And I, I saw it, but I knew what he was talking about, and that's what it is. When you feel like that, it's like how Steph Curry feel like he can't miss a three-pointer right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you understand me? <laughs> he fast. You let him get an open shot, he's not going to miss that. That's that confidence. So for me, when I was like that, I was like, what they going to do? They're they not faster than me. They're not smarter than me. They're not, they don't have the shock and explosion in their punches that I have. And they can't really even hit me. How are they going to beat me and I can hit them? How are they going to beat me? They couldn't. And that's just what it was. I had so much. And I was such a master of the game by the grace of God. And, and you know, my father taught me a lot, you know, and I learned a lot on, on top of what I was taught. So I had drills and drills and drills and drills, hours and hours and hours, days, weeks, months of doing the same thing. How you going to beat me? It wasn't no way. You watch Canelo. You've seen him. You called many of his fights over at HBO. Uh, you look at Billy Joe Saunders. What can he do? Well, for Billy Joe, it's about being able to survive, being able to take Canelo's punches, if you can take another punches and get into and uh, try to get into his head where you make him want to kill you, because believe it or not, Billy Joe thrives when people want to kill him. That's why he's trying to ag- agitate Canelo now. He thrives when he can make you telegraph your punches because he's slick enough to make you miss by just enough that he can touch you. You understand me? And when he gets into fights where he can do that, he's usually good. Only problem is I don't really think Canelo has that mindset that's going to allow him to do that. Now we're gonna get it. it's gonna get tested though, cause Canelo he gonna make Canelo mad enough to where he almost getting make, getting mad enough now. That's why he keep playing the games. That like he gonna shake his hand and t- he doing things to try to get up on the Canelo's skin to make Canelo want to kill him now, because he knows that when he makes guys want to kill him, that's the best chance for him. That's the only way he was able to beat Eubank. That's the only way he was able to beat David Demute. He had both of them trying so hard to knock him out because he's not known as a power puncher, but because they were trying so hard to get him, he took advantage of that. Now he can see everything they throw him. And he has heart, and he's a, he's a he's a game guy to the end. And he, so far, he's he's had heart. So he's the kind of guy that you know you just gotta know, but you can't let him get under your skin. Transport 1996 Roy Jones to today, put him in the ring with Canelo. What happens? <sighs> really, I like Canelo a whole lot as a fighter. So it's like I'm not gonna be that guy. I felt the same way he felt. That's what I'm saying. Two guys that and I don't see nobody gonna beat me. <laughs> How would you fight him in, at your best? How you see what he can do? How would well, you fight him? Well, it's kind of easy to. I mean, not easy, but it's kind of easy to figure out how you fight him. 
and this is why I'm saying that this boy, if he, this guy be the Joe, if he gets in a fight, gonna be a good fight. The hardest two times he had in boxing was Floyd Mayweather and every time they Lara. And what did both of them do? They boxed him and moved. So if you box him and move, you create problems for him. You understand me? Even in the second fight, he beat Triple G because Triple G asked for Mexican style. But when Triple G asked for boxing and moving, Triple G was doing much better. But because you asked for Mexican, Mexican style, you got no credit for boxing. Which you can't, you took yourself out of the boxing rim. You said, no, I want Mexican style against a Mexican. So he came and gave you Mexican style. You understand me? You did good with it, to be honest with you, but we couldn't give you credit for it because you asked for Mexican style. You understand me? So guys that box him, give him a harder time. You understand where I'm coming from? And that will be, like I say, Floyd Mayweather Jr. and Eric Lundy Lara. And what was Roy Jones Jr.? The best boxer, better than both of them. So it's quite natural it was going to be a problem for him. I respect you not being that guy. Like Sugar Ray Leonard, too, whenever people would ask him about Floyd, he'd be like, I'm not that. You know why are we answering that? Like, I believe in myself. What am I going to say? I wouldn't win. Like, but it's you know it's one of those debates. No, it's not. Mm. He won't. He won't tell you the truth. But no, it's not a debate. Well, no, it's it's not a debate. But it's what it's people want to yeah, talk about. But not, there's no upside not, for him. It's in, not a debate whatsoever. Ray. Dude, what? What? Yeah. Ray is a dog. <laughs> I know. You understand me? Yeah. They underestimate because of his nice personality yeah. and his nice disposition. No, 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 no. They do not want that dude right there. And not in his prime, they don't. I don't care what they say. They could not mess with that dude in his prime. They not. They ain't never seen nothing like that dude in his prime. They ain't seen nothing they, in their weight class, in a weight class above or below them, in their prime that was close to what Ray was in his prime. And that's just that. And I can say it because I ain't none of Ray. They could not touch Ray. Trust what I tell you. I bet my whole life, and if you bring him back prime to prime, I'm a bet on Ray Leonard. Me, my life and my kids. Roy. That ain't just joking, and I ain't got to hate that just what the truth is, because I've seen that with myself. I've seen Ray in the trenches. I've seen Ray with an eye closed and couldn't see out of it, and Dundee telling me you're blowing the sun, and what Ray get up and go show out his heart. I, he's proven. Roy, I, I could do this for hours, but you've been traveling around the world <laughs> the last few days. I appreciate you taking some time and talking, man. Glad to have you uh, back in the uh, broadcasting biz, too, as well. Looking forward to it. Thank you, brother. I hope I can make it. Hope, hope I can manage to... Uh, Give people the same insight I used to give. I used to be pretty good at giving insight. Um, hope I still got the eye for it. I've been out for a long time. It's, good it's like riding fight. a bike, man. Yeah, it's a good fight, but it's a good fight with two good fighters. You know, it's like I love both of these guys as far as their, their boxing ability, you know. Um, Billy Joe, my fighter wants him bad now, so I got to pay attention he does, to him. Chris Eubank wants a piece of him. Billy Joe bad and I Did you tell him, what's, what's he betting 10 grand on? What's he betting 10 grand on this well, fight that's, for? That's, like? that, that's, their, that's their personal <laughs> thing, but uh, he really wants, wants him pretty bad. So mm-hmm. now I got to watch him and figure out how we're going to beat him. So you have, you have a dual role in yeah, this got a dual You got a little scouting. Yeah. Actually, he wants both of them, though. So yeah. I got to kind of watch both of them because the, he giving me a hard task. Mm-hmm. So 65,000 in the I building pay, tomorrow. I got to pay attention to both of them and see what we get because... He wants either one of them. Mm-hmm. Canelo said he wants to go to the U.K. There it is. Mm-hmm. And Eubank you, you and, and um, Billy Joe Saunders is always going to be a beautiful fight in the U.K. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we got, we got, hopefully we got first dibs on both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Roy, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Great review. You know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.